But today we're going to start before the beginning, and we're going, to, we're going to go with John's gospel. Now, I don't know if there's anybody in the world who doesn't like John's gospel. If you don't like John's gospel, I don't know what to tell you. But, you know, John, who was one of the sons of thunder, and then becomes the apostle that Jesus loved, it was this very special place, and he referred to himself as that, has this concept we're going to get to at the very beginning of his gospel about the Word, capital W, the Greek word logos. It's a really important word to know. Unfortunately, we get our word logo from it, which just kind of deflates the awesome meaning of it. But for the Greeks, it was an awesome meaning. The word, you know, Greeks were very interested in philosophy, and they always looked for perfect things. Somewhere there was a perfect microphone, and somewhere there was a perfect chair. Well, Lagos referred to the idea that somewhere there was a perfect word. The ancient Greeks, who of course were pagans, didn't know that, what that perfect word was. We know what it was. And so John starts out with this very important Greek notion. You know, in Genesis, you know the Gospel of John, if you've studied it, parallels Genesis. It even starts within the beginning. The Hebrew Bereshit, it even starts in the beginning. And it goes through days, the next day, the next day, the next day. And it mirrors the creation account in Genesis 1 and 2. And why does, it, why does it do that? Because through Jesus, we're in a new creation. He resets the creation. Life comes back. What the first Adam lost for us, the second Adam gains for us. And how can you think about anything else? I mean, I, I don't get it. I don't, I don't know how anything else can be important. So, John starts out by saying, in the beginning was the Word, the Logos. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. Okay, so from the beginning is the Word. The Word is God. The Logos is the eternal Word with God. And that's what we're talking about. That eternal word becomes the God-man, which we celebrate in a, whatever it is, four more weeks. Goes to the cross. You know, the Jews had trouble with a crucified redeemer. You know, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, we come with a foolish message. Because we come saying, if you don't deal with this man who was crucified 2,000 years ago, you can't be saved. And people go, oh, come on. 2,000 years? It sounds like a foolish message. But this word, and later we're going to see, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Greek means he pitched his tent with us. In our time, it would mean he bought a house on your street and moved in. We just celebrated the Feast of Tabernacle and Tabernacles at my One and Messiah ministry, where you live in a temporary shelter 
for a week to commemorate the wandering in the wilderness. Well, he came and lived in a shelter. The eternal word came in a shelter like ours. A real body, a real physical shelter, not a cosmic projection. His body wasn't an illusion. A real body. And so everything that was before the beginning, everything was made by him and through him and for him, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Wow. That sounds a lot like the times we're living in. The darkness doesn't comprehend the light. You know, later on, John's going to write, men prefer the darkness. Why? Because their deeds are evil. Men don't comprehend the light. So, this is how John starts out his whole gospel. Augustine, the great early church Western father, said, these, these words in every Bible should be written in gold because it's so powerful that the word existed before everything. So the word, the logos, John uses this many times. The ancient writers always talked about how he was the word, how the word went forth, how the word was spoken. And being spoken has a lot to do with this because creation is spoken into existence. Did you ever notice that? Creation is not silent. God just doesn't just will everything to be made. He could have done that. But he spoke everything into existence. We're not going to go through all the creation account, don't worry, but you all know it. Let there be light, and let this happen, and let that happen. And as he created things, he spoke to the place that they came from, spoke to the sky and made the birds. He spoke to the water and made the fish. He spoke to the earth and made the plants and the animals. But when he created Adam, who did he speak to? Himself. He said, let us make man in our own image. Let us make man. For by him, all things were created that are in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things consist. So the eternal word, everything's created. He holds the whole universe together in Colossians chapter 1. That's why he's Christ the King. He always was Christ the King. We could go through many psalms where God the Father calls God the Son God and talks about his throne and how David talks about his throne. But he holds the whole universe together, and the creation was a word that was spoken out. You know, when you speak a word, what do you have to do? You force air through your larynx, and your vocal cords vibrate. And then the sound is adjusted by your sinuses and your tongue and your skull, and out comes the word. But if you put your hand in front of your mouth while you're talking, you feel breath coming out. So the word that was spoken out was actually God's breath, God's wind. And you probably know this, but the two biblical languages, Hebrew and Greek, I know there's text in Aramaic, and don't send me nasty emails, but um, both in Hebrew and in Greek, 
the word for spirit and breath and wind are the same. Ruach in Hebrew, pneuma in Greek. Two biblical languages, spirit, wind, and breath are the same word. Isn't that cool? So the breath of God through Jesus creates everything, Paul tells us. Jesus is not some subordinate being. He's not like some junior partner in the creation. He's in the Godhead, spoke, and everything was created. Everything's created through the Logos, because, of course, he's the eternal second person of the Trinity. He wasn't born on the night of December 24th or whenever he was born. We don't know exactly. He has always existed. Because God wouldn't give his omnipotence to a creature, right? You know, many times in the Bible, people are reprimanded for worshiping creatures. Even the angel reprimands John and says, hey, get up. I'm a creature just like you. A created being couldn't create everything the way Paul described it. So we know that this original logos, this original utterance of creation from the ever-existent God came through the second person, Jesus, for him and through him. Everything's created for him so that he can be the king of everything. This is what we're aiming for for Christmas. And I'm glad to see that little baby Jesus there has dark hair. Because in most churches, they have what I call sweetest Jesus with little blonde curly hair and big blue eyes. <clears throat> Doesn't look very Jewish, but anyway. Oh, come on, that's a joke. Anyway, so like the writer to the Hebrew says, he speaks to us in these last days. So the same breath, the same word that went forward to create speaks to us. Now you might say, oh, I never hear anything. I don't ever hear anybody speaking to me. Well, maybe you should turn down that, maybe you should turn off the TV for a while. Maybe you should go to a quiet place. Maybe you should sit in prayer and reflect on things. Maybe you should sit with your Bible open praying. But the same word comes to us in these last days. You know, when the people were in the wilderness, they had all the manifestations of God. The Shekinah cloud was the physical presence of God. When the cloud moved, they moved. When it stopped, they stopped. They saw the cloud cover Mount Sinai and heard thunder and shofar blasts and lightning and wind blowing, and they got scared. And they said, we can't deal with this. And God basically tells Moses, they're right. They can't deal with that. So what happens? They heard sounds. They didn't see a form. They got really scared. So the eternal logos, Jesus, the word, the people who were with him saw signs and wonders, plenty of them. And they heard a human voice. They saw a physical man speaking with a human voice. That we can process. 
So the Word of God comes through a human body. Same Word that was on Mount Sinai, same Word that led to the creation of everything, now is uttered by a human being that people can hear and process. I mean, if you don't think about this 20 times a day, what are we doing here? You know, I, when I was working, I used to say, you know, people spend more time worrying about their cholesterol than where they're going to spend eternity. I could care less what my cholesterol is. Because this is what I want to do. So the word comes through a body. Because every person has a voice. Everyone has a voice. John the Baptist, it says in the Greek, had a loud, shrill voice, penetrating voice. He was kind of an annoying, big mouth guy. Interesting, since his father was speechless for nine months and eight days, more or less. <laughs> but we have a voice. See, the voice, the breath, is always proclaiming the truth. Jesus is the Word, Jesus is the truth, capital T. Did you ever think that morning of Good Friday? Pontius Pilate, this pagan Roman governor, was more concerned about Jesus than the religious leaders were. Isn't that kind of weird? What is truth? People ask us in our day, well, what's true? What's truth? What I think is true may not be what you think is true. What he thinks is true may not be what she thinks is true, but we're all three right. But the truth is in this word. We have a voice to proclaim it. We may not have a loud, shrill voice like John the Baptist. We may not have a powerful, moving voice that Jesus had. We don't know what his voice sounded like. We'll hear it. I hope it's today, but we're going to hear it again soon. I always say, I hope you're coming today, Lord. <clears throat> because he is the word. And this word is eternally expressed. Starts in creation, then goes through the writing of the scripture. Moses writes the Torah. Each of the prophets writes their portion. The New Testament comes. The New Testament writers are inspired because the Holy Spirit expires the breath. 2 Timothy 3.16, right? The English translations don't quite catch it when it says all Scripture is inspired. It actually says God breathed. God breathes out the Scripture. Again, it's inspiration, expiration. Everything is about breath and word. So the word's eternally expressed. It's ongoing. It doesn't stop. And... Psalm 19, I love King David. David's one of those guys in the Bible that you really have to sit and think, wow, here's this guy that says, you know, the Bible says the Holy Spirit rushed on David and never departed. God says, here's a man after my own heart. You think, wow. You would think he's a guy who goes around like this. But he doesn't. How many people know he had a checkered life? The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament, firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. 
There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words are to the end of the world. In him he has set a tabernacle for the sun. In his words he set a tabernacle for the sun. How cool is that? Everything is speech, everything is language, everything is a breathed out word. Powerful. Powerful. Jesus is the living word. You know, when he came, when he came and said, don't think I came to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it, because everything in the Old Testament pointed to him. In John 5, 39, he says, all the scriptures testify of me. He doesn't say, well, a little bit of this book and eh, not so much this one. There's a couple of verses over here. It says all of it. So the word that's breathed out by the Holy Spirit, Jesus says it all testifies of him. So if you think the Old Testament's boring, come and see me afterwards. <laughs> so in him, it says, John says, in him was life because he's self-existent. He's El Shaddai, he's self-existent. God doesn't need us to do anything for him. Oh, was God lonely, and that's why he made... No, he's perfect in his existence. He doesn't say, oh, I hope today Bob over there is going to help me out a little bit on some stuff. He's self-existent. He's alive, and he speaks life. And John says that speaking of life is the light in the darkness. You know, before you meet Jesus, you think, yeah, you know, my life's pretty nice. I do this and I do that, and I got a pretty nice life. And all of a sudden, you say, whoa, I didn't even know what life was about until five minutes ago. Because he's a light in the darkness. And that eternal light, that eternal word penetrates this. And it goes through the whole scripture. And what's the end point of it? To atone for sin. Oh, I'm a good person. I've never killed anybody. Well, if the criteria of getting into heaven was don't kill anybody, most people would be saved. <laughs> right? But Jesus says, well, you know, if you grow angry with your brother, it's the same as murder. And people say, what? If you call your brother a fool, you deserve trial and hellfire. What? If you look at a woman with lust, you've committed adultery without doing the act. And they say, what? Why does he say that? Because if you violate one law, you're already condemned. And all those things violate the law. So the end point of all of this is to conquer sin and death, which is done at the cross and at the resurrection. Right? 1 Corinthians 15, Paul tells us if there's no resurrection, then we're still in our sin. And he goes on to say, of all the people in the world, we're the most pathetic. And why does he say that? Because we put our hopes in a dead man. You, know, you put your hope in somebody who died. Well, that's not much of a hope. But the writer to the Hebrews says, he was, he is the eternal high priest. 
He's the eternal sacrifice. He goes, he doesn't go through the veil once a year and go into the Holy of Holies. He goes through the veil, which is the heavens, with his own blood, not the blood of bulls and goats, that all prefigured what he was going to do. And so he comes to atone for sin and to conquer death. But the human heart is dark. Remember the account just before the flood? People's hearts were set on evil. Everything, everybody was just doing evil all day long. Human heart is dark. And like I always say, our sinful, you want to see our sinful nature? Do you ever have to teach a little kid how to be selfish? Do you ever have to teach a little kid how to lie? No, you have to tell them not to be selfish, not to lie. You have to try to undo the, self, the, the sinful nature because everybody wants to worship themselves. We don't want the word because our dark heart doesn't want to know about it. Our dark heart doesn't comprehend it. We don't want to be told what to do. And you know, it all started in the garden. Everything starts in the garden, right? Satan tells Eve, did God really say that? Yes. Okay, okay. Maybe he said it, but is that what he meant? Come on, Eve. He couldn't possibly have meant that. Well, and let me tell you why he told you that. He doesn't want you to be independent. He wants to dominate you. He wants to keep you under his thumb. Yeah. What's he trying to pull? Give me that apple. And that's still how the demons come against us, right? You doubt the word. Oh, come on. That stuff was written 2,000 years ago. We've evolved. We want to worship ourselves. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. Whenever I read that, I think, and the next one, he came into his own and his own received him not. Whenever I see that, I think about Palm Sunday. I love Palm Sunday because it was prophesied in Zechariah 9.9. It fulfills so many Hebrew prayers and thoughts and feasts, and you can't even stand it when you study it, you know, really deeply. But as he's riding into the city, which Zechariah tells us Messiah was going to do on a donkey through the eastern gate, there was a group of people that say, Hosanna to the son of David. There's a group of people, the religious leaders say, you tell them to shut up. Who do you think you are causing all this ruckus? And there's a group of people that say, who is this? And I think here's people for, I don't know, however long it was, 2,000 years, 3,000 years, waiting for Messiah, waiting, getting prophecies, studying Torah, studying prophets. Well, the Messiah's gonna come, the Messiah's gonna come, the Messiah's gonna come. He rides into the city and people say, who is this? And that's how we are. I don't wanna hear about all that Jesus stuff. I'm sure the pastors have talked, I talked to many people on their deathbeds who said to me as almost their last words, eh, I don't believe in any of that stuff. I would say, wait, 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 ah, I don't believe in any of that crap. I don't want to hear about that stuff. 
and they would die. And I would be, I'd be more upset than their family. Because I would walk out going, oh, they're closing. The last words they say is, I don't believe any of that. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. So this eternal logos, the eternal word that all of creation is about, leads to Romans chapter 8. Now, if you don't know what Romans chapter 8 is, we'll just summarize it real quick. The Spirit comes into our spirit, and we cry out, Abba, Daddy. We don't have a, we have a spirit of adoption, not a spirit of bondage. Adoption. So that you go from this dark, sinful heart, this dark, sinful being that you are, to being a son or a daughter, to being adopted. In Galatians, he says, we become co-heirs with Christ. Co-heirs. You know, if you adopt a child and you have a biological child, they both have the same rights under the law, right? Unless you specify differently in a will or whatever. But if you die suddenly and you have a natural child and an adopted child, they both split your stuff. And Paul says we're co-heirs. Jesus is the true son, capital T, capital S, He's the only begotten of the Father. He's the true son. We become adopted sons and daughters. So whatever Jesus inherits, we inherit too. Hello? Is that awesome or what? Woo! Is that awesome or what? And what do you have to do to do it? Believe in his name. Doesn't mean you read books about Jesus and say, oh yeah, pretty interesting guy really a good philosopher. And gee, it's too bad they killed him, but you know, he was wrong. And here's what we're pointing to now in this season. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The eternal Logos becomes a man. Still the eternal Logos, but 100% man. He developed in the womb. He had to be born. He had to learn how to walk. He had to be fed. He had to be changed. He learned how to talk. Mary would take him to the synagogue and say, now we're going to the synagogue, I don't want any squirming or any fooling around. (laughs) Oh, come on, that's pretty funny. (laughs) But he did everything that a human does. I always wonder, like, when he was playing with those little friends, if ever the divine, if ever the divinity came out and he said to his friends, you see how those stars are over there? I put them that way because I liked it. And they would go, oh. And they'd go home and tell their parents, and they'd say, he said, what? But he, he dwells among us, and we beheld his glory, John said. But in John's first letter, what does he say? That which was from the beginning, we saw him, we heard him, we touched him. So the eternal Logos becomes the God-man, to conquer sin and death. 
I don't care if you have Santa Claus for your kids, that's fine. I like Santa. And you know, if you want to sing cute Christmas songs, that's okay. But we're about to rec- we are about to commemorate the birth of the God-man, the eternal Logos becoming flesh and pitching his tent with us so that sin and death can be conquered. Woo! Pretty fun, pretty exciting. That's not the world's Christmas, right? Christmas is a good time to evangelize people if they'll listen to you. But that's what it's about. And so every day we have to think about this. Every day we have to listen to that word that's ever going, as, as David wrote, it's, ca- it's forever going through the universe. It wasn't just for five seconds of the creation. It is always going. And to us, it's a word of truth. It's a word of salvation. And it's a word of hope and promise. Like the writer to the Hebrew says, our hope is an anchor that's in the holy of holies. Because we know where we're going. We know where we're heading. So, let's close. Thank you, Father, for bringing us here today. Thank you for the Spirit poured out on the world, and thank you for your awesome plan of salvation where your only begotten Son, the Logos, became man and died in our place. And we praise you in his name. Amen.